Thanks, Grant. Good morning, church. Thank you guys for coming here so early. Um, if we ever did an 8 o'clock service, you would be our 8 o'clock service people, I could tell. So thank you guys. And, you know, just, uh, just real quick on just your generosity. Um, you know, this has been kind of a squishy season for us when we, when we were without a, a senior pastor. And your guys' giving has been there and above what we thought it would be. So just, can you guys just give yourselves a round of applause? So thank you for that. Um, um, we, we've been talking about bids for connection the last couple of weeks, and a bid for connection is any time you turn towards someone and try to connect with them. Uh, yesterday, I got home from church around noon or so, and my, my, well, I wasn't going to name names, but um, my wife and I, we are, we are empty nesters, so, um, but someone that lives in our house called me, so just, you can put the pieces together. Someone from my house called me and said, I've locked my keys out of my car, um, so that, that was her bid for connection to me, okay? Um, so, and, and we talked about there are several responses to, to bids for connection. I, I could have uh, ignored her phone call. Um, that, that would have been away from the bid for connection. Or, or I could have turned against it and said, uh, sweetie, uh, I told you to get a Heidi key. Uh, yeah, hey, we're part, of, we're part of AAA. Just call AAA. Um, but I didn't do any of those things because we're still married today. And, and, and I went and responded to her bid for connection and, go, and helped her out. But um, bids for connection, we're talking about that. And um, especially bits for connection from the words that Jesus shares from the cross. And I want us to just pay as much attention to the words that we've been sharing. We've been talking about the seven last words that Jesus shared from the cross. And to me, they are the most um, vulnerable and transparent and real words that Jesus shares to us. So I, I just encourage us to listen to them carefully. Um, and, and I think when we respond positively towards bids for connection, it's a, it's a, it's a sharing of hope. And I, and I want us to fuss with, with hope for just a little bit today. Um, because sometimes when we're looking at the cross, this side of Easter, it can be fairly hopeless. Uh, but let me share just a couple of um, uh, descriptions of hope from some kids. Uh, some kids kind of our, our kids' ages. These weren't from our kids, but they're kids seven, eight years old. Um, this is from Andre, seven years old, sharing about hope. Hope for me is having faith that there's something better and brighter coming. Love that. And this is Diane, eight. For me, the word hope means standing up again and not giving up. And this is from Chris Lynn. Hope for me is God, who is always on our side to guide us. Um, you know, hope for me, sometimes hope is the only thing we can hang on to when things get tough. Hope is the anticipation of something better. Hope is the anticipation of something good. Um, and I want to just throw out these questions to you guys, and maybe we'll wrestle with them through some of the message today. What do we hold on to when it's the scariest? What do we hold on to when it's the scariest or the darkest? And then who, who do we hold on to? And then maybe the last one, and is it okay to ask the tough questions to each other, to ask the tough questions to God? Um, you know, I, I've shared with you guys that you are really bad at audience participation, but today is gonna be a really easy one. All you have to do is breathe, okay? And anybody who doesn't wanna breathe, we have a safety and security team that'll help you out, okay? Uh, but all you have to do today is just breathe. Just take a deep breath, um, and I just ask you, if you can, just to take a posture of trust, just a posture of hope, and a posture of faith as we enter into this story, 
Because I, I want to I pray for us just that God will speak to us. And, and not through my words per se, but God will speak directly in and through my words to you right where you need to be. Okay? You guys still breathing? Okay, you guys look good so far. Um, but I, I want to share th this thought. This is from Philippians 4.13, one of my favorite texts. Maybe you guys know it. I can do all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can do all things through Christ who loves us. We can do all things through Christ who is with us. And this, this, this painting, painting my daughter did, um, um, you got this. We've got it because God's got it. Um, I'm going to jump into the story today. This is from Mark's gospel. Again, we've been looking at Jesus on the cross, his last hours with us this side of Easter. Just a little bit of the story. Jesus has been betrayed. He's been arrested. He's been abandoned. He's been beaten. He's been falsely accused of all kinds of things. And all of this happened at night, the night of the Last Supper. Um, Nine o'clock that morning, he was crucified, nailed to the cross. And we pick up the story this morning when he's been on the cross for three hours already. Um, this is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, starting with the 33rd verse. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, we've called these messages during Lent, this season before Easter, famous last words. And they're not famous last words from famous people. They are Jesus' last words from the cross. And we called the day Jesus was crucified Good Friday. And I'm not really sure why we call it Good Friday, because from a pre-Easter stance, from this side of Easter, there doesn't seem anything good at all about the day. And there's seven last words or phrases from Jesus on the cross, and we've been looking at them one by one. And today we're going to look at the fourth word. But let me review real quickly the first three words. First word was Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. It's all about forgiveness. And the second word was about rescue or salvation. That one criminal turned towards Jesus, bid for connection. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned towards him and said, um, today you will be with me in paradise. That's the second word. The third word was what we looked at last week, and it's Jesus' care and connection from the cross. Jesus connecting John, the beloved disciple, with Mary and Mary with John. Um, these first three words, these first phrases from Jesus, if, if we didn't know the context, if we didn't know it was Jesus nailed on the cross, uh, if we didn't know it was that Jesus was in excruciating pain, every breath of struggle, every word and thought, this, uh, with this tremendous amount of pain, just how, how, how he could get words out was, was just amazing. But if he didn't know the context, if he took these words out of context, Jesus could have been sharing them across the table, the dinner table, or he could, he could have been checking off some boxes before he went off on a trip. But this fourth word, those first three words are like that, but this fourth word is different. Jesus cries out these words in a, out in a loud voice. Jesus yells these words. And I remember past, Pastor Ike saying Jesus screeched these words. 
And I'm going to read these words again in a minute. Uh, and I'm not going to yell them or say them in an overly loud voice. And I'm thinking we, we can all imagine what these words would be like, yelled or screeched. But just think for a second. Just think for a second. When do we cry out? When do we cry out? And if you're taking notes, I, I put a couple of reasons up there, but there are at least, there's way more than that. Um, two reasons we cry out. When we want someone's attention or when we're in tremendous pain. And I'll add just a third one, when we're scared or startled. <laughs> just a quick sidebar. Um, my wife and I were with Cindy's mom. We went to, took her to the doctor a week ago Friday. And in, in the doctor's office, there was maybe six or seven people in the doctor's office. And they were playing, for some reason, teenage um, mutant ninja turtle on, on the screen. Um, um, no commercials. I mean, this was the real deal. And I had never seen the movie before. And I, I just got sucked into it. And there was a part that was scary, or I was scared by it. And, and I, I didn't shriek or yell out, but I was startled. And I, I said something in a manly kind of way, if you know what I mean. <laughs> But, but everyone in the office like turned to me. And if I was on my game, I would have said, oh, it's my shoulder. It's killing me. Uh, <laughs> but I, I said, no, it was, it was this really scary movie, this teenage. Um, but we cry out for three reasons, at least three. You know, when we're, when we're <laughs> scared or startled <laughs> like that movie. Don't see that movie. Very, very scary movie. Um, um, when we're startled or scared, we cry out. When we want someone's attention, we cry out. Or when we're in tremendous pain, um, and that pain can be physical pain or emotional pain, mental pain or spiritual pain, right? Um, let me read the scripture one more time. Um, At noon, darkness came over the whole land, some supernatural darkness. From noon until three in the afternoon, it was dark. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's hard for me, it's hard for us to hear these words, this fourth word. And I was trying to be really honest as I wrestled with this text this week, really honest with the words and what they mean to us, trying to listen, really listen to the message to us from Jesus on the cross. And if you're taking notes, two reasons, at least two reasons why Jesus cries out. He wants our attention, he wants our attention, and he too is in tremendous pain. And just hear me out on this. Um, Jesus wants our attention. Jesus is always teaching. He's teaching those that are watching at the foot of the cross, but he's also teaching us who are hearing this story. And maybe we've heard this story a bunch of times, me too, but to really listen to this story to this part of the story, to listen to these words with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. It's tough. Ernest Gaines wrote a book 30 years ago called The Lesson Before Dying. I believe Jesus is teaching us a lesson before he dies. Jesus wants our attention for sure, but he's also in tremendous pain, physical pain, but also mental and emotional. And maybe more than anything, he's in spiritual pain, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. For me, and maybe you, it's hard, really hard to see the hero of our Christian faith struggle like this. 
And there's a rawness and a realness to all of this that I almost wish wasn't there. And we've been looking at Mark's gospel, these words from Mark's gospel, but they're also in Matthew's gospel as well, word for word in Matthew's gospel. And these are hard words for us to hear Jesus shout out, but they are honest words. Words we have probably shouted out a time or two in our lives. My God, my God, why? Why? Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22 here, the Psalm right before Psalm 23. And there's a big gap, a faith gap between those two Psalms or those two prayers. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then a big leap to the next Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a part of me that wishes the writers of Mark and Matthew's gospel, there's a part of me that wishes they hadn't included these words, this fourth word from the cross, because it is so raw and real and so very human. And if I was the editor of the world, I would have said, you know what, let's take, the, let's take that line out, okay? It's not going to sell a lot of these books. Um, one more time, our fourth, fourth word from the cross. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Then at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which again means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, the story says in Mark's gospel that Jesus was crucified, nailed to the cross at nine in the morning. And during those first three hours, he was, Jesus was watched and mocked and jeered and insulted by those walking by the cross or those standing at the foot of the cross. But then at noon, when the sky went dark, the mocking and the jeering and the insulting seemed to stop. This darkness got everyone's attention. Darkness in the middle of the day, that can be a scary thing. Like a mighty, powerful storm is looming. Like the dark sky that comes before a, a, a thunder and lightning storm or a tornado or folks who've been around hurricanes. This day's storm is a different kind of storm, though. The darkness of this Friday afternoon was both physical and spiritual. All of nature seemed to mourn as God's son, Jesus, hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This all touches on the human side of Jesus. What does it mean, like we asked the kids, what does it mean to be forsaken? And maybe to drive it home, when have we felt forsaken? And I had to look it up too. What what does forsaken mean? It's not a word we use very often, but if you look it up, Google it to find this way. Abandoned, ditched, discarded, left behind, deserted, jilted, rejected, cast off, disowned, renounced, relinquished, sacrificed, hopeless, lost, empty, forsaken. My dad grew up on a little town on the south shore of Long Island, Lindenhurst. Um, uh, He was just a kid, maybe 10 years old. Um, He was told by relatives, wait here on the front porch. We'll come back for you and we'll take the train into New York City and we'll go watch the Yankees play. Um, My dad waited on the front porch till dark. They never came back for him. Forsaken. Jilted, discarded, left behind. My dad taught this as, maybe you guys have heard this before. um, You'll forget what people have said to you, but you'll never forget how they made you feel. 
forsaken, forsaken. Um, I met a man a, a week ago, not, not from our congregation. Um, he was sharing part of his story with me. And he shared with me how his wife of 28 years told him she wasn't in love with him anymore and she wanted a divorce. No explanation, no, can't we talk about it, just done, done, done. Four kids. When his wife left, he said he felt his heart literally, physically break. Forsaken, abandoned, discarded, left behind. Have you ever felt forsaken or abandoned, left behind? If you've ever struggled with infertility, if you've ever miscarried after struggling with infertility for years, you know what it's like to be forsaken by your body, by God. My God, my God, why? Again, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22, and maybe he says the whole psalm out loud, but it's not recorded, or maybe he says the whole psalm to himself, but we only hear this part, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus knows forsakenness. Jesus knows forsakenness. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, the one who went to the Pharisees and asked how much, they would, asked how much would they pay him if, if, if he helped them arrest Jesus. We always want to put Judas in the evil box and just leave him there. He's just a bad, bad person. But we have to remember he was one of the 12 that was recruited by Jesus, handpicked by Jesus to be one of his apostles. He was a friend, a trusted friend, at least for a time. But at the end, Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, delivers Jesus over to the angry crowd, armed with clubs and swords, and Jesus is arrested. Right before this, well, for a price, if you've taken notes, for a price, Judas forsakes Jesus. Jesus. For a price, Judas forsakes Jesus. But right before Jesus was arrested on this horrible night, as this horrible night was beginning to play out, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. And he took his closest friends with him and he went and he asked them to pray with him and to keep watch. But they were bone tired and weary. And they couldn't keep their eyes open and they fell asleep. Three times Jesus went to pray, and each time he would come back and they would find them asleep. And Jesus would tell them what we know, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Next, if you're taking notes, in the garden, in the garden, Jesus' closest friends forsake him, forsake Jesus. Now Jesus is at the foot of, Jesus is now on the cross, and except for John and a handful of family and friends, the others, Peter, James, Andrew, Matthew, Simon the Zealot, they all, all his closest friends, they've all run and abandoned him when Jesus needs, when Jesus needs him the mo- them the most. And I wonder what we would have done. I mean, it was a scary time. They didn't, they didn't see it coming for a variety of reasons. Maybe they were afraid that they would be arrested but maybe they were ashamed, too. I mean, how, man, I don't want to be associated with that guy. Maybe they were embarrassed. Now from the cross, Jesus shouts out these words. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? If you're taking notes, now at the cross, God forsakes Jesus. And I wanted to, I wanted to write, now at the cross, God seemingly forsakes Jesus. But that's not how it reads. Drew Collins, some of you guys know Drew. He was just a gifted worship leader and a pastor here for a season or two. He used to always tell me when, I, when we would fuss with Good Friday stuff, he would say, Joe, you, you go to Easter too fast. You go from Good Friday zip, right, to, right to Easter. This has been a tough, these seven last words are tough because they make us park there for a while. Um, Jesus takes on our sin in some real earthy way. Have you ever seen someone with the weight of the world on their shoulders? Have you ever seen someone with the weight of the world on their shoulders? You know, I remember seeing uh, pictures of President Barack Obama before he was president, and then eight years later after. He had the weight of the world on his shoulders, and, it, and it, you could just tell he, he got wore out on those eight years. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number four, if you're taking notes, why does, why does God forsake Jesus? Why does God forsake Jesus or at least seem to forsake Jesus? And this is, this is a tough part of this story, for me anyway, and maybe you too. But it's central to our faith, it's central to why Jesus went to the cross. John's Gospel, chapter 1, John the Baptist, who was the one preparing the way for Jesus, he told John's followers, told them, he pointed to Jesus and said, look, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was telling all who would listen, this was Jesus' mission. He was going to take the sin of the world away. Then Jesus' words from Mark's Gospel. This was after Jesus told his disciples about servant leadership. Jesus was speaking right to them as they were wrestling, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And he said, the Son of Man, and he's referring to himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. Ransom was paid, uh, the money paid to free a slave or uh, someone who was captive. And then from 1 John Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but also the sins of the world. In these last hours before Jesus died, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, I want to believe Jesus parks his divinity and absorbs all of our sin. If you're taking notes, it's, it's in your notes. Jesus parks his divinity and absorbs all of our sin. He becomes, all, you know, we, we believe as as followers of Jesus, we believe he was fully God and fully man, and it's a mystery. We don't really get it. But in this instant, in these last moments from the cross, I believe he parks all of his divinity and absorbs all of our sin. From 1 Corinthians, and I take this from the Living Bible, for God took sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Next note, if you're taking notes, God and sin cannot coexist. It's just not possible. This is more from 1 John. This is the message we have heard from, 
from Jesus to declare to you, God is light, and in him, in Jesus, there was no darkness. God and sin cannot exist, coexist. And at this point of the journey, I believe all of Jesus' divinity is parked. And Jesus has assumed the weight of the world on his shoulders, the weight of our sin, all of our sin, all the world's sin on his shoulders. This last note, um, the intimacy that God has experienced with God the Father, all his life, the intimacy that God has experienced with God the Father is not there in these final hours, these final moments. Again, that text from Mark. The Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why? And it's a hard question to hear Jesus um, profess from the cross. Um, But just looking for some hope in all of this, if you're taking notes, number five, from the cross, Jesus gives us permission to ask the hard questions. My God, my God, why? Ron Lind, some of you guys remember Ron Lind. He was just this special, special guy. He was a 1960s hippie um, that somehow loved everybody, from the little kids to the old people. Um, It was August uh, 2016. Um, He was here one day, and then he was gone the next. He had a sudden heart attack. and the, I was just starting my job here as a pastor, and I just, we filled, this place was filled to overflowing. The parking lot was filled to overflowing. The reception afterwards was filled to overflowing. The biggest funeral I've seen in my entire life. It was just packed with people. And there were people, um, yuppie types, you know, with collared shirts and stuff. And then there were folks that had cut off t-shirts and whatever. They were all here because they loved their friend, Ron Lind. Um, I remember Pastor Darrell, he started his eulogy with the same question, why? Why? Why did we have to lose Ron Lind? He was so good. He was, he was doing God things. Why? Why? And I remember Darrell saying, this side of heaven, this side of heaven, we won't know some of the answers. And that's hard for us because we want the answers. We want to be able to Google it and say, why? Why did this happen? Why? Why does evil exist? Why do earthquakes come and kill 40,000 people? Why did this freak accident happen? Why did my daughter get cancer? Why is there war right now in the Ukraine and other places? Why does a little baby named Shelby, not even a year old, have nine surgeries, and they're still not sure if the baby's going to make it? Why? 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 But when Jesus asked the question, he's asking the universal, unanswerable question of human suffering, at least this side of heaven, why? Sometimes there's just a huge hole in our understanding, and we have to be okay with that. I believe Jesus from the cross models that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to have all the answers. I want to talk about just the honesty of what Jesus is saying, the honesty of prayers. 
Number six, if you're taking notes from the cross, Jesus is teaching us to be honest and vulnerable and real with our prayers. You can't get any more real than quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why? And in the garden, the, the, the night that he was betrayed, the same thing, Jesus is in the garden. He says, Daddy, Father, Abba, is there any other way? Jesus, in all of his humanness, is asking that. Is there any other way? Is there any other way? And in the silence of that night, Jesus knows, not my will, not my will, but yours be done. From the book, uh, the kid's book, The The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, it's become one of my favorite gospel stories. Um, And I'm quoting from the, the story. The fox never really speaks, whispers the boy. This is from the horse. No, and it's lovely he is with us. Then the fox speaks. To be honest, I often feel I have nothing to say. And then from the horse, being honest is always interesting. Being honest is always interesting. You know, the cool thing when we do our kids' stuff up here, the cool thing about kids young kids, kindergarten age kids around that age, they, they don't know how to fake facial expressions. When they're sad or excited or frightened or happy or bored or mad, you can read it on their faces. But adults, we've learned to hide behind a bunch of facial expressions that are not honest. Jesus is modeling for us honesty and honest prayers. And our prayers, these are always our our bids for connection with God. And Jesus is modeling for us, no faking it. When things are bad, just say it. Lord, this stinks. Lord, this makes no sense. Lord, I, I know your word says you will not leave us or forsake us, but right now it feels like you're a million miles away. Being forsaken, I believe, is the opposite of being connected been talking about bids for connection. And the words I believe that Jesus shares from the cross, it's God's ultimate bid for connection with us. God's saying to us in our pain, I know, I know, I know. You know, I struggle sometimes with bids for connection. We struggle. As a culture, bids for connection when people are really hurting. When people turn to us in their pain. We will say things, and I'm quoting, perhaps God is teaching you something through this. We'll say sometimes, this experience will help you grow. And then the worst of my, the worst thing I've ever heard people say is, God must have needed her or him more than you. One time I was at a funeral for a best friend, a business partner, um, and somebody came up to me because I was struggling. He was, my, he was number one, and I was number two in our little business. And because my buddy was killed, I was going to have to be number one, and I was struggling with that because I didn't want to be number one. And he said, came up to me and said, the cemetery is full of irreplaceable people. <laughs> I didn't tell him that, but it wasn't helpful. Bids for connection when people are hurting. Let me just share just a few things to say maybe to people when they they are hurting. 
I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I know you're hurting. I don't even know what to say. I can't imagine, can't ima- imagine how you feel. Maybe something just to, because we're helpful people, because I want to fix people, maybe this is something that for all of us fixers, I know this is hard for you. I know this is hard for you. I will be with you. Is there anything I can do for you? Can I take your trash out? Can I take your kids to soccer practice? Can I, can I walk your dog? Can I, can I build you a back deck? <laughs> Again, there's always three responses to a bid for connection. We can turn towards it, or we can turn away from it, or we can turn against it. And bids for connection, I mean, it can be big things. You know, Jesus from the cross, those are all big things, but it can be small things too. The other day, I was just taking a walk behind our home. We've got all these really cool trails. And I came upon this older man. He was an older man. He had a hoodie on, and he was walking very slow, very slow. And I didn't want to scare him. I was coming up behind him. So I I took a wide, you know, berth around him. And then I, when I got equal with him, I turned to him, and I said, good morning, with a smile. And he turned to me real slowly, and he smiled. He said, good morning, back. Bids for connection. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, he understands our struggles. He understands our pain. I want to throw out these texts from Hebrews. I think they'll be up on the screen. Because Jesus understands our pain, God's word can say this to us, and we can embrace them with confidence. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Some more of Hebrews. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And I love this part. For the joy set before him, before the, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Just He knew it was going to be bad. He knew it was going to be bad. But he knew that there was hope coming his way. He knew that after this was over, he was going to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus understands our struggle and our pain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became forsaken for us so that we would never be forsaken. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. A question I threw out at the beginning, why do we cry out? Why do we cry out? I also want to say we cry out when we're happy or when we celebrate. Cry out when there's hope, big hope. When Jesus welcomes us home one day and says to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. Yes. You know, we threw out this scripture um, from Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We know sometimes that we have to add that somehow on it. And I believe all of this is good because God, Jesus, wants us to pray honestly. He wants us to reach out to him when it's tough. And just the last note, and I want to end on this. To know Jesus, to know Jesus, you have to know Jesus from the cross. To know Jesus, you have to know Jesus from the cross. 
If you remember Jesus, along the way, he would say, you guys want to follow me? You really want to follow me? You've got to take up your cross and deny yourselves. We had this great guest speaker, a husband-wife team yesterday. And at the end of the, the, this, this great talk about the gospel, he reminded us, challenged us guys. He said, don't, don't lay down your cross. Don't lay down your cross. Don't forget your cross. And this is not in your notes, but I, one of my favorite texts, but also one of my least favorite texts, it's from Philippians 3.10. And I think this is, this, is, this is Jesus from the cross reminding us what's most important. This is St. Paul saying this to the folks in Philippi. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the power of Easter, sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. And that's the hard part, sharing in the fellowship. It's easy to look at the Easter part, but Paul is challenging us to walk through the suffering part, to walk through the cross part. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection sharing in the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him, becoming like him, becoming like him in his death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, That's the prayer. That's the prayer Jesus prays over all of us. And Jesus, again, became forsaken for us so that we would never be forsaken.